Hello, and welcome to a series of podcast conversations talking about suicide. I'm Lee Hatcher. For the vast majority of a career of four decades in broadcast journalism, it was a standing instruction in all media that we never report suicides. There were few greater taboos. In recent years, that's been turned on its head. More and more experts were crying out for it to be out in the open. We need to be talking about suicide. The most recent figures put the number of Australian deaths by suicide at just over 3,000, about eight a day. Suicide among men is more than double the rate of women. For those aged 15 to 24, more than a third of deaths are suicide. And there are very real fears and tragic wrenching stories emerging from this year of enormous upheaval in COVID-19. This podcast series is aimed at enabling an informed, more open conversation about suicide, even offering hope. I'm in conversation with Lynn Worsley, founder and director of the Resilience Centre, who has an enormous amount of clinical experience in this arena, and Megan Webster, a provisionally registered psychologist and school counsellor. Lynn and Megan, welcome. Thanks for having us, Lee. It's great to have Thanks, you here. Lee. So first up, Lynn, give us an overview. Where are we heading in this series and why? I guess this has come from a conversation that I've been having with colleagues around the issue of how suicide is reported and how we're advised to deal with someone who has a suicidal ideation. And my difficulties in the conversation has been really around what we're advised to say. And essentially what we're advised to say sometimes can make it more hopeless in the conversation. So my impetus here is to really try and work out how to have a conversation. You'd acknowledge it's a really tricky thing to have a conversation about. This is a really tricky thing to have a conversation, but a really important thing to have a conversation about. Can I begin this conversation with a bit of a, like a broad canvas? As I said, talking about suicide in the intro is so much more open today. When I talk to someone who's struggling with suicidal thoughts, what does help, Lynn? Well, what helps is to be able to direct them to some hope. That's quite simple if you've got the skills. And it's about asking about what are the reasons to live rather than what are the reasons to die. It's as simple as moving away from what's going wrong to what would you like to have happen instead. Even when I'm feeling hopeless. Even when I'm feeling hopeless. Because generally, we don't feel hopeless 100% of the time. So there's a percentage there that where we have a little bit of hope. And in that percentage, what we need to be able to do is lock into a conversation that directs that person towards where they've got that hope. And it is a skill. It's a skill yes. that we learn in therapy But I don't see why we have to just do this in therapy. Why can't parents, teachers, friends, someone you're sitting next to on the bus stop, why can't we have a conversation that enables people to hook into where their reasons for living are? Megan, can I ask you from your considerable work in schools and with parents, what helps having this conversation? I would agree with Lynn that directing towards hope is 
incredibly helpful. It's easy when you are someone like a parent or a teacher and you care so much for that child to be really frightened and to feel like there's no hope to be found. But I would say if the child is willing to have the conversation with you, that's a sign that they have some hope or they wouldn't be talking about it. Two questions in one, Lynn. Why are some people more prone to death by suicide? And could it be genetic? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a great question because we like to try and look at the risk factors. No, it's not genetic. Um, why are some people more prone to it? I don't know if they are. I think it's a little bit of a myth and I think we get told a lot of myths around suicide because we really don't know. And if some people are more prone to it, well, then that would mean it's genetic. But I don't think that's the case at all. There's nothing to prove that. What we do know is hopefulness, hanging out with people who are more optimistic, can turn people around from having that as an option. I've known that to be catching. Yes. Yeah. I've known people who would avoid at all costs talking about something like suicide. It's so tragic and heartbreaking. So how do we talk about something that's so sad? Well, firstly, if someone, as Megan was saying, if someone's wanting to have a conversation, they've already got hope. Yes, yes. And quite often we get fearful. Like I, I know, Megan, you were talking about how someone would be bringing this up and immediately you think, oh, I've got to look at the risk factors, but then actually, no. They're already there having a conversation which tells you they want to live. So tapping into that in our own psyche, going, this person wants to live, I'm interested and I'm curious as to what it is that has meant that they are so much wanting to live that they're having this really difficult conversation with me. What would you say, Megan? Often what I've seen, particularly recently, is that the parent or the teacher they're often a lot more worried about the risk than the child is themselves and that's an interesting thing to see because I think often for the parent or the teacher it's new they didn't know that the child's been struggling with this but the child by the time they've come to tell somebody about it they've been thinking about it for quite a while so they've actually drawn on their own strengths to survive for this long and drawn on their own strengths to reach out which is already a really good sign out of the blue you could understand a parent be scared witless by that conversation coming absolutely absolutely and as a parent myself the most common reaction that you would have is to jump in and protect and hold them close and not let them go out and do all of the things that are actually not helpful. Why aren't those things helpful? What that does is that we're responding to the risk. So if you can imagine we've got the fear on one end and we've got the hope on the other end of a scale. If we respond in our own psyche to the fear, we shut down the very skills that Megan's talking about, that that child has actually already implemented. Those skills may be building up the courage to go and talk to your parent about it, building up the courage to go and talk to a school counsellor or a teacher about it. And what would be really nice is to have the permission in our conversations to ask about how did you have that courage to go and talk to me about it? What did you do last week when you felt so low that kept you going? How did you manage 
to survive a week when you felt so low that you felt like taking your life? What did you do differently that meant you wanted to live? Tell me about why you want to live. And that conversation opens up a, a direction. It doesn't mean you're going to feel better straight away. No, or fix it. it or it's not going to fix it, no. but it's going to create a flow of energy towards another option than suicide. It's pretty amazing because I think in so many parents' kind of positions, you'd be left speechless. Like, where do I go with this? I agree so much. And I have children and a grandchild, and the, the worst thing I would ever want yes. is for them to feel so, so low. But the best thing would be to ask is that, where's your courage come from? <laughs> yeah. How did you manage to cope? What were the skills you learned? Tell me about some of the reasons that you are still here. Megan, we've heard that the suicide risk of young people is higher if they know someone who has died by suicide. Is that true? I think it can appear as though it's true because if a young person knows someone who's died by suicide, it's on their mind. Yes. And so it can appear as though they're suddenly thinking about it as an option for them and they never have before. But this is part of a normal processing of a distressing event. Anyone who hears about or experiences a distressing event that has, is close to them, they will be thinking about that as they're trying to understand what happened. That provides a, a lovely opportunity to actually talk about it and have a, a hopeful conversation and a conversation that might help them to process what has happened, help them to grieve and help them to find their reasons for living. I think it's also really helpful to actually consider that, yes, we do tend to see spates of suicide. We tend to see mm. a number of people having the idea of suicide and then they, it's e easy for us to jump in and go, oh, that's because it's contagious. And I think this is where the fear of, of shutting down, we don't really want to talk about it, comes from. But what we know is that every single person is different. Every single person has a different level of resilience and they learn their resilience skills in different ways. And so when we're talking about people who have died by suicide, what happens is that we have a flow on of other people's grief and sadness. And this is why it's so important for us to have conversations around that and conversations around the hope, not the fear. What about this circumstance? My daughter comes home from school and says one of her best friends has died by suicide. I'd probably nearly equally freak out with the fear that that might kind of spread throughout that cohort. Yes. What do I say to her? What do I do? What you would say to her if we're using a solution-focused and a hopes perspective, you'd be going, let's sit down and have a cup of tea and talk this over. Mm. She yeah. probably would. She probably would. And let's tell me a little bit about what's been happening around you that makes you feel awful as well. And let's have a little look at some of the things that you're doing that are protecting you and keeping you strong. And how can we lean in and help the people around us and support each other rather than pull back and not talk about it? Megan, when you talk about suicide, does it make it worse or could it make it worse? No, I don't think so. There's always that fear. If I talk about it and I yes. say the wrong thing, am I going to make them feel worse? But what we know is that talking about it, it's less about whether or not you talk about it and it's more about how you talk about it. 
but talking about it is better than not talking about it because it gives the person an opportunity to connect with you and to get a little bit less isolated. Often when we sense that there's a risk as carers of young people, the the temptation is to draw back from that person because we're afraid of making it worse. But connection and relationships is really protective for the young person. So the more you can draw in and come around that person, whether it's having the conversation about suicide or whether it's just being in a relationship with them, doing things with them, that will help. I might fear as a parent that if I talk about it, it kind of normalises it with my child and their cohort. Is that a fair enough fear? That's a very understandable fear. Yeah. And I think we've all felt that. Yeah. I think that talking about suicide normalises talking about suicide. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) What's really interesting in that concept is, you know, that whole issue of normalising. One of the things that I think is important for us to realise is that we all have this option. We all have this option of suicide. And I guess what we need to be looking at is that let's talk about it and so that we don't just have that option. Let's have it so that there's more options of other things. Mm. And so it's naive of us to think that our child has never, ever thought of it. It's naive of us to think that none of us have ever thought of it. It's actually quite normal for us to have a thought that, oh, gee, maybe I'd be better off dead. However, there are other options. And so many children have this thought, more children have this thought, that don't die by suicide because they have other options. And so it's our job to make sure that the conversation is there to respect that the option is there and to respect that we need to provide options that give that child a sense of hope. And as Meg said, this is about giving them a relationship and conversations through relationships that enhance their understanding of life. I've lost friends. I've known of people who've died by suicide. One of the things, I'm not a psychologist, (laughs) that I've always thought is that for them there's no tomorrow. Mm. And there's always a tomorrow, Mm. which often is better. Daytime is better than nighttime sometimes, often. And in tomorrow there is hope as well. Yes. So even asking the question, if tomorrow things were just a little tiny bit better, what might you do differently? What might give you a sense that perhaps there might be another option apart from dying? The other thing is that we need to be very aware that by not talking, we create a culture of shame. Mm. And when there's a culture of shame, there's always a culture of blame. And so when we don't talk about it, those people who are left, parents who've lost a child, people who've lost a partner, are surrounded by a culture of shame. That means that they can't have these conversations with people that help them to heal. It's quite a spiral, actually. It's a big spiral. Yeah. And that's where we need to make sure we're talking and we know that talking makes a difference. And sometimes we bumble through yes. and make awkward conversations but just the fact that we're there and giving it a go helps us to take away that culture of shame. Here's another circumstance context what do I say to another parent who's lost a child to suicide? Sometimes you can't say anything but sometimes just being there with them and leaning in and letting them know that you care is enough 
because the most important thing is that they're allowed to grieve and they can't grieve when they're feeling shame because the shame and blame go together. So it's really important for us, for those of us in the community where we've got people in our local community who've lost somebody through suicide, to lean in and grieve together. And that might continue for some time. It's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix. I think there's a a really nice three-step rule. The really nice three-step rule is talk about it. Step one, talk about it. And ask about what keeps you going. Ask about what it is that is a reason to live. Ask about what helped them to get through the yesterday so they could get to today. Those are really good questions because it taps into the skills. The second one is that if someone's talked to you about wanting to take their life, reach out, call in their best people. You know, work out ways you can all lean in and connect and call on the professionals. Let people know. Don't keep it to yourself. And the third one is bumble through. It's okay. It's okay. You just do what you can. No one's got the perfect answer. No one is going to be able to be perfect in the way that they fix this. But we all can face in a direction of hope rather than the facing in the direction of fear because the fear will make things worse. Can I ask you both a somewhat practical question? What are some of the things uh, that a parent could or should do to avoid their child thinking that suicide is a good option? Can I start with you? Your child is smart enough when you look at what are the different options. If I did that, what would happen? If I did this, what would happen? What would be the pros and the cons? They'll be able to see for themselves which options are better. They can work that out. Remember that there might be a tendency to get dragged into only talking about the suicide option and getting dragged into the hopelessness. So even in that conversation, Try and be looking for some spots of light and some exceptions to everything's terrible and this is the only thing that will fix it. You might notice that there's a spot of light that is, but on Tuesdays I get to do this and it's not so bad and try and hone in on those. Because there always it is, actually. There are always exceptions. But like Lynn said, it's important not to ignore that suicide is one of the options. And if you line it up with the other options, I think it's pretty clear that it's it's the one that that means that you cannot change things. You cut off your opportunity to change things or have a better tomorrow, as you said, yeah. whereas the other options give you the opportunity to, to potentially change things for the better and, and have a life worth living. Some of the things that I would be doing is calling on their favourite auntie or their favourite uncle. Oh, yes. And I'd be bringing in their best friends who are really helpful. I'd be organising pizza nights. I'd be doing things that mean that people start leaning in. If they're, you know, stuck in their room playing computer games, I'd get in there and I'd learn the computer game. I'd be doing things that enabled them to connect and have the relationship with people. If they didn't want me in their room, I'd be in there anyway I'd be making raisin toast and doing things that meant there was a leaning in and the child felt like they could not deny that there were many many people on their team it's probably worth saying this which is very different from our conversation but you've both talked about relationships and this is very deep heavy kind of relationship and important that doesn't start now that's the product of many years of relationships so it's worth 
yeah. making the point to parents that this is this is a process that starts very early in a child's life. Yeah, and it's also really important to realise that when someone has depression, the depression itself pushes people away. It disables those wonderful connections and protective factors. Yeah. Because depression seems to think that it would be helpful to have no one there. It's a myth, of course. So what we need to be aware of is that if they are pushing everyone away, that we won't go away. That inadvertently there's a lovely auntie that comes in and wants to have a chat or someone else who's going to take them out fishing or doing something a bit different and enlisting the crew. What often happens is that there's so much shame and blame around this whole depression and sadness and suicidal ideation that we stop calling on people and it becomes a secret. It's not a secret. We need to be talking about this. I'm still struck by the notion that talking about suicide is actually or can actually be hopeful. I think it can be hopeful when you start to gather information about the reasons for living and also the idea of what would your life be like if you felt it was worth living? What would be different? Once you have a bit of a picture around what would I like my life to be like, maybe I would like to feel like I was a bit more competent at school or maybe I would just like to feel like I had the ability to make friends more easily. It could be anything. But once you have that, you have a direction that has nothing to do with the option of suicide. The conversation becomes about, okay, where are we going? Tomorrow. Mm. There's two ways we could go. You can ask more about the suicide itself, and I don't know if that's necessarily helpful. I think that's where the professionals would come in. And you can also go down the angle of saying how long have you felt so bad you know what's going wrong who hurt you all that sort of stuff and all of that does is it just points us in the direction of the fear and the the hopelessness but if you have a conversation around how would you like to feel instead what are some of the signs that you may have another option and what are the days when you felt like you were a little bit better than you are now and how much courage you've taken to talk to me now what's what's made it so that it's really helpful for you to come here now and what have you tried so far during this awful time that you've had what are some of the options you've other options you've given to keep yourself going all of that means that you're tapping into oh yeah I did do that oh yeah I I I did take a while to talk to someone and it, it has been a very courageous thing and oh yeah I have worked out that I have got some people to talk to and so this is a conversation that is not that hard to have. It's really about, in our own minds, which direction we're looking at. Just make sure you have it. Just make sure you have the conversation. Lynn Worsley, we've done so many really important conversations over just on a decade, actually. Yes. I feel the weight and the power and the importance of this one and this series. I look forward to many more conversations like this. Thank you so much. And thank you, Megan, for joining us. It's been great. Thanks, Lee. You've been listening to the first in our series, Talking About Suicide, from the Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher. We'd love you to share these important conversations on your socials, and you can head to our website for more podcasts in this series and so many great resources, www.theresiliencecentre.com.au.